Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so we have retired NYPD detective Kevin Gannon. He comes on the show to talk about the smiley face killings and if they are related to the Lady Bird Lake water deaths in Austin, Texas. So, Detective Gannon, um, is how, how long were you with the NYPD, Detective? Just a little over 20 years. Over 20 years with NYPD, and you've investigated, you've, you've been with a lot of different units with the NY, NYPD. Is that correct? correct? All right. A lot of different units there. And so, we brought him in to talk to us a little bit about, you know, this, these killings uh, or, you know, drownings or whatever's going on on Rainy Street and Lady Bird Lake, because we're trying to figure out, is there something going on here? Is it, do we have a serial killer here in Austin, Texas? Or is it just coincidence that these people are just <clears throat> randomly, you know, winding up in Lady Bird Lake and drowning and killing themselves? Someone, dr- it's, are they being drugged? You know, we're just trying to figure all this stuff out. So let's bring, in, bring over to the mic here, uh, Detective Gannon. Welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Uh, good afternoon. All right. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, well, a little bit about yourself, the different units that you're in with NYPD. Well, I was uh, in uniform, like like everybody else started out, like two years, and I um, because of numerous arrests that uh, myself and my partner made, we um, got transferred into um, the anti-crime unit, which is the plainclothes unit in the local precincts that we have, New York City, and um, at that time we worked in the Bronx. Most of my career was in the Bronx. And... Um, from there, I uh, was promoted to go into the narcotics division, at which point I would have been made detective. So you keep everybody calls me detective, but I actually got promoted sergeant before I became a detective. <clears throat> so I never actually got the detective shield, but um, I was in the investigative unit. I mean, I got promoted sergeant, went back to the precincts, um, 
after about a year on patrol as a sergeant in um, Fort Two Precinct in South Bronx, I got moved into the uh, narcotics unit because of my previous experience in narcotics. Ran the narcotics unit, tripled the amount of arrests that they made uh, in the first year of how many, they used to average like 15 arrests a month. We were doing like 45, 50 arrests a month. I did that for like uh, three years. I got transferred into the uh, robbery unit where they asked me to run a, a anti-crime ro- uh, robbery unit in which we were playing clothes. Uh, I was fortunate enough to pick the my own unit where I had men and women, which we made over like 500 robbery arrests in a period of five years and probably well over 200 gun, gun arrests. Um, and from there, I... Um, was promoted to the uh, detective bureau, and I was assigned to the, uh, the only time I went into Manhattan, the missing persons unit in police headquarters, and I was uh, second in charge of the missing persons unit, and did that for a year, which I had those, I had three young men that were missing in a 15-month period, which started me on this um, quest to find out what happened, because I had three suspicious drowning deaths, in which when I ran the um, information of where the victims were last seen or to where their bodies were recovered, the first two victims were found in the same exact spe- uh, location in Brooklyn, 12 miles away, in which there was no way, according to the New York uh, um, NYPD Harbor units and the water currents, that those victims would have floated from both uh, 96th Street and 42nd Street all the way out to Brooklyn, 9 and 12 miles respectively. So the only way they could have gotten there was they had to be driven very close to the location and put into place in the water in a location called Owl's Head Pier. Mm. And um, so I'm, unfortunately I got involved with the family very closely, which they always tell you as an investigator, don't get intimately involved. But I made a, a promise to the families that when I retired, I would um, go find out what happened to their sons. Um, I did one year in the missing person squad. I was in, at that point... There was a rapist that was running crazy in Manhattan and the Bronx. They did over 30 rapes. They assigned me to work uh, steady midnights um, in the Bronx. And within a year, uh, we were able to uh, apprehend that individual. And then I was going to go back to the missing person squad in which the chief said, hey, uh, I hate to lose you. I said, well, what do you got in the Bronx? And he said, the only thing I have, I know you hate midnights, but I got the Bronx Homicide Task Force. And I said, hey, I'd rather, I'd rather do that than go back to the missing person squad. So... I stayed in the Bronx, finished my career, and did uh, two years supervising the uh, Night Watch Division, which is the Midnight to Eight Division of you know, Homicides. And we, we, we put all the information together for the detectives that they could run with as soon as they came to work. Eight o'clock in the morning, they were ready to run with everything. The video, uh, interviews from people, and you know whatever we had. Videos from the vehicles, the, the interviews from the people, if they heard the shooting, what they saw, people running away. Put everything together so that you know they could be off and running first thing they got in the right. Morning. And you and you've done a, a lot of stuff with uh, the Rodney Reed case as well. Correct. Um, tell us a little little bit about that. <clears throat> Rodney Reed is uh, and and tell us who Rodney Reed is. Rodney Reed is a young black man who was accused of murder back in 1997. Uh, I guess 1996, but he was convicted in 1997 of the murder of Stacy Stites. Um, I just it was it was just uh, ironic how it happened. I was just. Dick Wolf is doing a new homicide TV show. He did one a year earlier called Cold Justice. And then um, a year later, he did another show called Dead Again. And they were, they were emailing me. I thought, I thought it was just nonsense. I thought it was uh, 
just a fake thing. I, 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 didn't, I never even answered the request to come do an interview. My partner said, I think this, that's something serious, man. I think you should like take a look at this. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, they've been trying to get in touch with you for months and to our website. And we, at that time, we were called Nationwide Investigation. We were just doing it here. And then we wound up getting phone calls from all these kids that were missing. So we named ourselves Global Death Investigation because we were doing homicides in London, England, uh, Ireland, France, Switzerland, the whole bit. So anyway, Dick Wolf gets in touch. I call like the day before. They said, we've been trying to reach you for like three months. Would you uh, be willing to fl you know, fly into New York? I was living on the West Coast, flying to New York to uh, do an interview. Uh, he, wants, he wants a real NYPD homicide guy because he had the NYPD shows, you know, all those shows, and uh, criminal justice and, uh, you know, the sex crimes unit and all that stuff. So I flew in. I got the job. They gave us uh, six cases, and most of the cases we agree with the investigators, but when I did the Rodney Reed case, I looked at it within the first 10 minutes, and I, I looked at the autopsy report. I said, he didn't kill this young lady. How do you know? I said, well, she's been dead for 12 hours, but, I mean, she's missing for 12 hours, but she's been dead for 24. So if you can't put Rodney back in the apartment with her, it's the white cop boyfriend who killed her. Mm, all right, so we're talking with retired NYPD Detective Kevin Gannon. We're talking about the... is. You know, the, what's going on at Ladybird Lake, re referred to, or, you know, Ladybird Lake? Is it having anything to do with the smiley face killings? Uh, is it related? Uh, we're talking about a lot. We're going to break all this stuff down for you. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Stephen Wolford, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with about the smiley face killings. We're, you know, are they related to what's happening here in Austin, Texas? We're trying to figure this stuff out. So we brought in into the studio retired NYPD detective Kevin Gannon. And we're trying to break this stuff down and try to figure it out and get into the weeds just a little bit. You know, what's going on at Ladyburg Lake? What's happening at Rainy Street? You know, are people being drugged? You know, uh, is it, you know, could it be someone who works in a bar? Could it be a group of people? Because we've had that before. You've had a group of people actually uh, drug someone, rob them, you know, take their cards, you know, credit cards and all that information, all that stuff. And these people wake up the next morning, figured out, wow, they've been, you know, a victim of some shape or form. 
and they have some random cell phone on them. It's not their cell phone, but they're entering their information in that cell phone, possibly transferring that information, you know, over to another device that someone else has. And these bad guys are using that stuff to get access to their accounts, bank accounts, you know, and all that good kind of stuff, social media and everything. So, you know, could this be something else, a copycat of that? You know, could this be a group of people, someone just has a fetish and just wants to drug people and just has this thing about watching people drown or something? I have no idea. You know, we're just trying to figure all this stuff out. Or is this related to the smiley face killing? So we brought in retired NYPD detective Kevin Gannon. He was telling us about the Rodney Reed case. Um, and once again, uh, Detective Gannon, Rodney Reed, uh, what was that again? What was uh, his case about? It was a, a male black accused of... Um raping and murdering uh, Stacey Stice back in 1997 when he was convicted. All right. And, 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 and so you were talking about you know, the fact that uh, the body had been found this particular time period. 24 and, hours later. And then, right. And so. Well, she was only missing for 12 hours. So, no, I'm, I'm sorry. She was missing for 12 hours, found 12 hours later. Right. But the level of decomposition on the body told me she was dead for 24 hours. So there's no way that. Rodney could have did it because the boyfriend said he was with her the whole evening before she left for work at 5 a.m. in the morning. And Rodney Reed is, is on death row right now. He's on death row, but they have a stay of execution. We we were able to get uh, um, three of the leading forensic pathologists in the country to concur with my assessment about what happened. And at that point, the uh, governor uh, stayed the execution. And so the whole big thing about this case is, the Rodney Reed case, is the fact that he was dating a young lady, and also yeah. a police officer was, was dating. Well, she was engaged to a police officer, but she was having an affair with Rodney. The okay, so guy. she was engaged to the police officer right. and then having an affair with Rodney Reed. Right. And so the speculation is where, you know, people are saying that possibly the, the police officer, you know, probably killed he, her. He murdered her probably yeah, the night before in the home, and then he— uh, Allegedly. Alle allegedly in the home. <laughs> Okay. But she had mixed lividity on her, so lividity is the blood settling in the body, and the um, the body was face down for at least eight hours for it to be fixed, and it was she had blood in her chest, but when she was found in the woods, she was laying backwards with her hands up like this, like uh, you know, like um, straight up into the air, which at that point, now she's fixed there for at least another eight to ten hours, so she's at least dead for either 16 to 20 hours easily. Mm. So, so her, know, body, that, her body been moved. In. Her body was definitely moved from one location to the other. So it was somewhere else for at least eight to 10 hours before it was moved to the wooded area where she was eventually recovered. And then the whole big stink about this is all the evidence hasn't been tested. Correct. There was a belt that was found as a scene and evidence so that, uh, that they believe she was strangled with and that was never tested. They just figured Rodney was the one and he did it, but uh, the so, Supreme Supreme Court just ruled like uh, last week that um, they sent it back to Texas to Criminal Court of Appeals to to actually um, test the uh, that the, the belt and the material should be tested. So, how was he actually convicted in the first place? He was convicted because of DNA that was found inside Stacy. Uh, your sperm, but the idea was... So they both had sex with her. They had sex. And so they're, both their semen was inside of her. Right, but they said Jimmy didn't have sex within the the, 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 the twenty the 48-hour period before. The, so the... it was only Rodney's sperm that was found inside of her. Okay. So what happened was, but they didn't tell you that the sperm was so denigrated that it had no no tails and, and, only, and only three of the, which would be thousands of sperm, only had th three heads. And you usually need sperm to have motility. So the idea was the sperm is so degraded that it was 
like almost 48 hours old. Mm. So, so, been so a- if Rodney raped her, he raped her two days early, then he came back and killed her. Mm. So it did So none of it made sense. Got it. So, and Jimmy was smart enough to the uh, allegedly w- wait for her to go out, have an affair with him. And then he knew I have to kill her now when Rodney's semen would be inside of her, which would obviously convict him. Mm. So it. it was, you know, Wow. And so now, so we're down to the fact that he was put on death row. He had a date. He had and a so date. has been going back and forth, back and forth, because I've been hearing about this this right. case for a very long time. Well, we, we stopped it five years ago, and then for whatever reason, two years ago, they decided to put him back on for execution, at which point um, I brought the case to Dr. Phil, and he came forward and did a, a, a two-day sh- show on the um, on Rodney's case and interviewed him himself, which was what he's known for to interview people. They have that show Bull on CBS that's is a, made up about what he did in real life, which he would pick juries by interviewing people who knew who would be trustworthy, that they would be able to assess the uh, information correctly. And after interviewing Rodney for a few hours, he said, I believe 100% that this man is innocent. He believed that Gov- Governor Gray Abbott would do the correct thing, and they eventually did stay the execution a second second time. Then the court of the Supreme Court said two years ago that Rodney should get a new trial. There's evidence that shows that Rodney might be innocent. He sent it back to the Court of Appeals. They sent it to Bastroff County for an evidentiary hearing. The judge said after even all the evidence, including having a white supremacist come in who was giving protection to Jimmy in jail, that he knew that Rodney wasn't involved with this, and yet the judge ruled that nah, there's no evidence for for a new trial. So it stood for two. Uh, it's it stood now for the last two years. He's and you said Jimmy. Jimmy Fennell was the the uh, police officer. Got it. Okay. okay. So Jimmy Fennell, uh, they they he said that the white supremacist that he was giving protection to Jimmy because Jimmy was in jail for a subsequent rape that he did in on duty in uniform, and he was convicted of that to ten years in jail. And this white supremacist guy testified on Rodney's behalf that he was. He called Jimmy, uh, you know, just a punk that he was given protection to and that he knows that Rodney didn't uh, k- kill Stacy, and yet the judge didn't find evidence to, to the contrary that he should get a new trial. So uh, that's where it stood for the last two years. Okay. And now the Supreme Court ruled that the evidence should at least be tested, and that's... And Jimmy's and, out walking around. Jimmy's out walking around now. Free man. Free as a bird, you know, saying that he didn't do it. Yet we had police officers that didn't feel comfortable at the time, but after what Jimmy did and going to jail, that testified that uh, Jimmy uh, was, they were told that at the casket, at the funeral, Jimmy said, you got what you deserve, bitch. So they're knowing that Jimmy probably murdered her. Mm-hmm. So, but yet, yet we can't, we can't get a, a trial for Rodney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So now let's, let's change gears a little bit and let's get to this uh, Ladybird Lake killer. Allegedly. Right. <laughs> so what's, what's your take on, on this case? What's going on here in Austin? Uh, I don't know yet if it's connected to my investigation. So I, that's why I came down here to see. Um, and I want to, I need, for me, first of all, but the way I, I deal with the cases is as a homicide investigator, I have to know from a forensic standpoint that there's forensic evidence that would prove that these young men were murdered. That's, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Then I would go down to see if there's, physical uh, evidence that my group, my gang, because we call it a gang, it's a well-structured, organized gang mm-hmm. with members in, uh, we, we call them cells, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 uh, individuals per city in these major cities. Austin is something that 
is a new occurrence for us. This is not one of the uh, earlier cities that we've had. Most of them have been around the I-94 corridor, across from New York, uh, Midwest from, you know, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Minnesota, Missouri, all in, all in that, that area. Mm. And... Um, a lot of people moving to Texas. A lot of people moving to Austin. So a lot, yes, these are the big. These are big up and coming cities. Right. And people, Austin, are here, people are moving here from New York. They're coming from, in from California. So exactly. there's a possibility. You know, there's a possibility. So I went to see if there was some symbols that would be connected. And I've told people from the beginning that Mike killings are based on the different thing that you said before. Mike was that, you know, then my guys aren't being robbed. Mm. So that's the whole thing. These guys are strictly like a killing machine. They are um, well-structured, organized um, gang. The killings are based on gang initiation. They're based on a ritualistic um, aspect of it. And and also then it's just pure hate. They hate everybody. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic. doesn't matter if you're male or female. doesn't matter if you're Christian, Jewish, Protestant. They don't care. Equal opportunity Equal haters. opportunity haters, equal opportunity killers. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, you know, so that's why I'm down to see. And obviously some of the thing I got from Gary on one of his earlier podcasts with you was that the fact that there was, I saw 666 and then there was a, um, the female sign. Now we, we've had some, we've had some ritualistic stuff with 666. We've had the upside down crucifix. We've had some, uh, satanic stuff. With the, right. And the, both the, of those, both of those, uh, types of graffiti, those symbols have been found at the location where Thad found a body, which again, I still believe is unidentified, but, um, uh, and, and we'll go, we'll go walk that after the show today. Right. And thanks to you. I saw it. I said, that would be something that would interest me. And I mean, my partner said, well, what do you think the female sign? And I did hear, I know one of the young men was homosexual. And I've heard that from other people in the neighborhood since I've been down here, that they think they're related to gays. Well, this would be the element of the hate crime that they would go specifically target individuals were homosexual. All right, we come but, back from the break. We're going to finish that thought. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking with NYPD Detective Kevin Gannon. He's retired from NYPD. And we're talking about the smiley face killings, trying to see if these uh, the smiley face killings are related to what's happening here in Austin, Texas. Uh, so Detective Gannon, uh, you were going on, you're talking about um, we're getting into Austin now. Right. And, and what's going on here in Austin down on Rainy Street. You know, people tend to go out, you know, downtown Austin, you know, party on 6th Street. And and then you have a different type of crowd that actually goes down to Rainy Street, different little district there. Uh, typically, people come into town on, you know, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and they tend to go to Rainy Street. It's a little little different, more more partying, less, you know, fighting like it is on 6th Street, Dirty Six. Okay. Uh, Rainy Street, you know, typically, you know, you have your, you know, your trust fund babies, you know, tend to go there and party and have a good time. Okay, and so now we're, we're there's an issue where um, possibly someone you know someone's drugging uh, young men, 
right. uh, downtown Austin, and we're <clears throat> and the reason you know we're we're going to the drugging of it, you know, because we're thinking it has something to do with you know drug related, maybe a date rate drug or something like that, something to that effect, um, because I don't think those things are tested doing a toxicology report. Correct, hundred percent. Hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I guess sometimes with some drugs, especially if they're synthetic or anything, they um, they don't test out like rohypnol, ketamine, or uh, GHB. And what we found is when we tested in all the cases that we suggested to the families they should test them, if they had still had liver tissue samples or urine samples, in 100% of the cases, which is a pretty good finding, we found it's only been like maybe 22 cases, but in every case that we tested, 100% of the cases, we came back with GHB in the victim. GHB is usually a date rape drug, so it's not usually something men will take unless they were real, for whatever reason, they, they use them sometimes if they're weightlifters and they're coming in the gym, uh, supposedly for metabolic uses. But otherwise, it's normally not the type of drug that you find anybody unless you're trying to abduct them. And the fact that it was in men, at a, at a, you know, usually hanging around bars, that was very suspicious. Mm. Okay. All right. So, um, Gary, so, um, you know, we have a couple different uh, people out there that are involved in this case. So we have uh, quite a few different victims, and we're talking about it in the cars we were driving over. Right. Uh, you had, you know, a couple victims that actually uh, had been assaulted. Had, had injuries to them, yes. It looked yeah. like they were, you know, physically assaulted which would, would re at that point would require human intervention, not something you would get just from a fall. Mm. And so, and you're thinking, well, you're saying that, I, th I think you mentioned that someone had been pushed or something. Well, I think Chris, Chris Pugh was possibly pushed off the Congress, Congress bridge. Congress bridge. Okay. I mean, and then he was missing for a period of almost three what, days, 50 hours, 60 hours, right? almost yeah. three days. But he obviously got himself out. So he wasn't, he wasn't like the typical thing of my guys, which would, they would make sure he was dead unless, I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't push a guy off the bridge, but they were more like, they take you, they held you for a period of time. The, the body, the level of decomposition on the body does not match the time that they were missing and they make sure you're dead. So there's one of two ways. You're either really legitimately drowned and which you actually sunk and you have to bloat to float because after you, de you, you die, the body starts decomposing. And at that point, when the body decomposes with the gases in the abdomen, eventually the, the gases will rise the body, the body will float again. But a, that would show up on an autopsy report. That would show up on autopsy. And I, like I said, I haven't seen all the autopsy reports to see if the level, I, you, sometimes the autopsy report is not consistent with the photographs. So that's why I'm looking for photographs to compare whether the victim's time in the water matches, you know, what the autopsy states. And Carissa says missing for three days in a large traffic location you know, a high, you know, density location, a lot of people. Right. Well, what, 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 what we spoke to uh, the roommate for Jason Johns this morning, mm -hmm. and what he was saying was, how come nobody's dying in that paddleboard lake or whatever it is where there's like thousands of kids and they're always out there and they're drinking and they're drunk and, and nobody's drowning there, yet right. they're coming here. This seems like as if somebody is either targeting them or drugging them in the bars and following them. Yeah, because you can go a little further down the lake there and there's... You know, Tons of people there on the weekends, Saturdays, right. and stuff like that. You know, getting drunk, you know, out of their gourd. And you're right. You know, it's not happening there, but it's right. happening on the other part part of the lake. Well, that would make sense because my the, the big biggest thing is we don't believe in coincidences or sets of coincidences, multiple coincidences. And when you see people by themselves 
Why would a young man go down to the water to urinate? Mm. We had an expression in the NYPD, which was, the world is our urinal. You know, it's like, where, if you have to go somewhere, you're going to go. Whether you're going to go. Between two parked cars up against the wall. You're not going to walk tree, that far. You're not walking that far. Right. So stumbling into the lake doesn't make any sense. Mm. And it is a it is a heavily dark area. I, I went down there for the first time um, like a few weeks ago and just drove down. And I was like, man, this is really dark. It really it's not well lit at all. I don't know if that's changed in the last, you know, week or last few days. But when I went down there, it's like really dark area. Well, if you did go down there, then there's a possibility that you would fall and you could get, you know, you. but there should be more injuries. There should be scrapes on your body and some other stuff. Just one little blunt force trauma to the back of the skull seems more like somebody came behind you and hit you with a, a pipe, you know, than, than you know, uh, because there's no other injuries. And um, Pew had a lot of injuries, so if he did come off a bridge, he would have multiple injuries. All right, so the uh, the, the victims that you know of, kind of go through some of these victims and, you know, what you, you know, found out that was, that's happened and, and, you know, what, you know, what's the, the verdict you, you're thinking? Well, I, I don't know this. I've only had a couple of autopsy reports that I saw, and though they could have drowned, um, there's very little water in their lungs. And though technically all you really need is two inches of water to drown, your your nose and mouth to be uh, covered where you can't have any uh, access to oxygen, and you could drown. But you usually, especially if you drowned in a lake, you'd have an exorbitant amount of water, usually over 1,000 grams. The lungs usually weigh anywhere from three to 400 grams. And when I'm looking at the victims like Martin Gutierrez and them, they had like 375 and the other lung 400. So they're under, you know, they're around 775, 800 grams. They're not usually the amount that you, because some lungs could be actually 400. So you'd have 800 grams with no water in them. So are they, are they drowning? I don't know. I really need to see the physical injuries and the levels of decomposition in the body. But the families are telling me that they were told by the medical examiners to cremate their loved ones. So now we don't have, so the only thing we have is the photographs and they're trying to get them. In the Why state. would they tell them to cremate them? They said the bodies were so decomposed that they need to be cremated. But I'm looking from the autopsy reports. They're telling me the levels are mild to moderate decomposition. That's enough for me for an open casket. What's the likelihood of, of the killer being actually working in the medical examiner's office? No, I don't think that. I think the killers, if, if the killers are involved. If there's a killer. If there's a killer, they would, those people are, from my, like I told you, my guys are getting oriented. And what they're doing is they're stalking these individuals. And the reason why I can tell you I, I think they're stalking them is because Chicago is the one city that stood out. In Chicago, until just recently, the victims weren't from Chicago. All the victims were from other cities where, you know, Minneapolis, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, Indiana, Gary, whatever. They were, they were people that were going to Chicago for the weekend. So I said, are they following them or are they turning them over to like, hey, this kid, because it's easy now. Everything's on, on the internet with the dorms. You could say, okay, I got this kid. We have 30-something engineers. Our only engineers, you know, science, technology, and, and engineers, medical, biological, chemical engineers, the only ones that are stupid enough to get drunk and fall into the water? No. Mm. They seem like they're specifically targeting groups. And um, do they send a picture of them and say, hey, this kid's going to Chicago for the weekend. Grab this kid. Because that's what we were seeing. So it wasn't, they were always out of state until just in the last big influx like Austin's been having. In the last year, we've had like about 10 cases in Chicago. And they have been victims 
mostly from Chicago. Now, someone asked him, what's the likelihood of the perpetrators being law enforcement? Uh, I'm not saying that. You know, who knows what happened? Jimmy Finnell was, uh, was a rapist before, uh, before he got convicted and, and, uh, and, and killed his, allegedly killed his uh, girlfriend, Stacey. They could have. It could be someone working in the medical examiner's office. It could be law enforcement. Can't rule anything out unless we know. We don't know unless we, we know. We don't know, but I, I, I'm not saying it's, it's law enforcement. Um, all I know is could law enforcement be involved with some of these if there was a, a satanic group? You, you, you've, had, you've had all kinds of people that are involved with those kind of groups. You know, from the son of Sam, I mean, I grew up in that whole neighborhood when the guys were, they, they, they claimed David Berkowitz was the lone killer. I'm telling you, he wasn't because they, they sent metal, letters to the NYPD of the sons of the son of Sam. But the son of Sam had two sons, Michael and John Carr. Both of those kids were, were killed. And when John Carr was killed in uh, North Dakota on his wrist, after he supposedly blew himself out away with a shotgun on his wrist, after he was deceased was in his own blood. S-O-S-N-Y-C. So who did that? Somebody came up there and put mm. Son of Sam in New York City. Mm. So uh, John didn't do that. So either that or they were ta- there was a taunting. But obviously they knew what was going on. And there was other individuals that, you know, that were involved with that group, including w- men and women. Right. All right. And so uh, let's see here. Uh, someone said, Elizabeth said, ever since we heard that the I-35 rock thrower, Patrick Eugene Johnson, was an APD informant, and that it was UTPD, the University of Texas Police Department, and not the Austin Police Department, who found and finally arrested him. Uh, Carissa says the gang is above your average smart uh, smarts, so it's not too far fetched to think you know this person could be in law enforcement. I believe what she's saying. So there, there a lot of a lot of theories are going sure, on, well, you know, online. A lot of people. There's going, a, a, lot there's of a million conspiracy theories, you know, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I've been investigating this for 20 years, and we know actually who the group is now. And, and, and that's for the smiley face kid. The smiley face, we know who's responsible, and we're eventually going to put that out. You know and, who it is. Yes, we do. We know what it is. We, we we've been tracking them. We know exactly who they are. We know how they communicate, and they're communicating on the dark web. We have thirteen distinct symbols. So the smiley face was the most generic one. So we put that out. If I told you who it was and it was a symbol, you say, "Oh my God, that's the uh, the Bloods or the Crips or the Latin Kings or the Hell's Angels or the." Bandoleros or whatever, you know, biker gang, you would say, we know who they are. Right. You know what I'm saying so. Yeah, but the, see, and, and we, we've it's had. It's the black separatists, it's the white supremacists. We, we, we know who it is, I'm telling you. Now, we've had a lot of different issues here in Austin. So we've had issues with, you know, rape kits not being, being tested. Right. You know, um, so a lot of different issues like that. We, you know, this is having a serial killer is not new to Austin. Anyway. Not new to Austin. Not, having a serial killer is not new to Texas. It's not new to NYPD either. That's why they closed the case with David Burkus. I'm going to tell you that the two most dreaded words in law enforcement is serial killer. Right. Because the two most dreaded words that follow the serial killer are the words task force. Hmm. And nobody wants a task force that encompasses, oh, my God, we need to bring in the FBI. We need to bring in uh, inter uh, uh, state agencies, the state police, local police. We need to get – we need to – if you don't have NYPD, where you have 36,000 cops, which we had, we had, you know, over 100 detectives working 24 hours a day for a year. All right, we come back, we come back from the break. I want to talk about what, what are some of the things that you guys use to try to track these, you know, these people down? You know, what are mm-hmm. some of the tools of the, you know, the trade that you use and some of the things that people need to watch out for? This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace, this is Maj Ray. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. 
Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking with retired NYPD detective uh, Kevin Gannon, and we're talking about the Ladyburg Lake killers. We're actually trying to see if this is related to the smiley face killings. Uh, and so Detective Gannon, I, I, before one of the breaks, we were talking about um, some of the victims were gay, straight. What, you know, can you get into that a little bit more? Well, I'll just say that that's just an, a, a rumor right now. I don't know how true it is, but like I said, my group is equal opportunity killers. So if it was a group of gays, I could see them going after them, you know, but it's not specific of anything. It would be easy if it was just. Are you, talk, are you talking about the people that are possibly doing this? Doing the smiley face killers. They, could be gay. No, 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 no. I'm oh. saying they would target people. So like. Mike, are you asking about the victims or victims. are you asking about the killers? Either or. I'm just trying to figure out which one, what you know, what we're referencing. No, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the kill uh, the victims being gay. Okay, they they would target anybody specifically. If you, it would be easy if it was just they were just going after black people. They say, okay, it's a hate crime. Just going after gays, it's a hate crime. If they were going after women, then you would think it would be sexually involved. Right, right. But they're not. Like I said, they're equal opportunity killers. They they go after everybody. But uh, I'm saying when I first came down here, speaking to some people, they said that they thought some of the victims were gay. I only know. And I can't even confirm that, but one of them may have possibly allegedly, been gay. Yeah. So allegedly, could they have, you know, saw him and said, hey, "Yeah, let's just grab this guy tonight." You know, they, because, like I said, whether it's gay or whether they found out with um, with Clifton Axel, we, we were talking to the family. He was a very uh, flamboyant kind of guy. He was he was boisterous. He was good looking. He had a, he had a, a prominent job. He uh, he was. He would throw money around. He, he would have been somebody that maybe they would have said, you know, who is this guy? You know, who is he? He's, he's big in society. He's he's well off to do. Anything that my partner used to say, they, were, they would be jealous of. Somebody, all of the people that they chose and that they choose are usually the best of the best, best of society, whether it's, like I said, all these guys, STEM technology, you know, STEM technology, you know, engineer math, um, business people that are business. They have law enforcement people that they've chosen. That have uh, been uh, that have been cops or brothers that were families of cops that they've they've, they've taken their family members that were studying criminal justice in in college to be in law enforcement or they were military. We have a lot of military victims, you know, whether they were Navy or uh, you know uh, servicemen, whether they were Marines or just regular Army uh, personnel. So we have a, a, a mixed bag of uh, individuals, usually people that are really part of uh, the structure of society. All right, so I, I call in numbers 512-643-5483. That is 512-643-5483. Give me a call and let me know uh, what you think. You know, we, what, I think what we have a caller on the line right now. All right, so let's go to line one, Anna. Anna, you want me to come and talk? Yes, um, I have a question for the detective. My question is why... First of all, APD did not acknowledge those killing the Ladybird killings for a while, and then apparently this big Facebook group made a made it uh, came out. Then they released the statement. The statement was really not a good one. Um, they're downplaying the whole situation, and you know the the people of Austin deserve better. So why are they downplaying it? Uh, well, I'll give you a couple of reasons. One, um, drowning is like one of the most difficult crimes to uh, to prove. And to be honest with you. I knew very little of it until I got involved with just back in 1997. Uh, drowning is an exclusionary diagnosis. And even medical examiners really don't know much about drowning, except that the body was found in water and they have nothing else to, to go by. So 
they basically rely on what the police say. And if the police don't have much evidence to go on anything else, it basically comes down to the medical examiner looking at, are there injuries that would be suspicious enough to say that something else transpired here than just somebody who accidentally fell into the water? Unfortunately, in Texas, I think because of those two cases, they do have something that they should be looking at, which is a little bit has more you know, teeth on the, on, on the uh, meat on the bone than the normal drowning deaths that I investigated. With mine, I had to investigate them because there's a lot of times lack of injuries and we had to go by the level of decomposition not matching the amount of time the victim was in the water. Okay. So that's one thing. The second thing is most of the time police, you know, they want to close the cases as soon as possible. So if they can and the medical examiner is going to say, hey, looks like a drowning to me and they make it accidental, to be honest with you, that's not usually what the medical examiners make. Usually what they say is if we don't know it's an accident and we don't know it's a homicide, they usually make it undetermined. Why Austin went to accident right away, you know, that could be a little suspicious to me also. So you mean to tell me there's no difference between uh, trying to figure out the person died, was thrown in the lake, or drowned in the lake? Correct. Well, they would usually go by, there's, there's, there's some things they could do, but they have to, they, it really is a more intensive investigation than just looking at it. And I'm, like I said, the amount of water in them, they, if sometimes I saw one of the victims, they could have froth, which you could have that after a drowning death, and um, and there's some edema that, that could be causing the lungs. And so there could be drownings, but whether or not the person fell in or whether they were held under is a whole other story. And you need to have more more evidence to really tell whether it was accidental or whether it was a homicide. So that's why most of the times medical examiners do make them undetermined in case more information comes forward and they would, you know, hopefully reopen the why case. Why wouldn't they just suspend the case instead of close it? Well, they don't, they don't suspend them. They just, they would make it undetermined, which in New York, we call it a copy case undetermined pending uh, police investigation, meaning we need to have more here. Um, and I think here they, they would probably, at least in those two cases there, they, they would have needed more than to make it an accidental. Hey, Anna, you have anything yes. else for us? Um, you know, I do actually, they, the APD is downplaying it to the fullest, but yet they turned around and increased police activity. I mean, so much that people were reporting on it online and it was talked about and it, they made their presence known. So if there wasn't anything going on, why did they do, turn around and do that? Cause that's to me, that's a huge red flag. Like there is something going on and they're definitely not admitting it. Well, because most people don't, law enforcement doesn't want to admit that we have a serial killer you know, around because why, why is that? They, because it's gonna they, they're gonna figure it's gonna uh, uh, scare the uh, the the, uh, the public. It's gonna be bad for business. Um, in lacrosse, we know the kids were down there. We had Mike asked a question earlier. Said, "How do you know? What do you use?" Well, we used you know bloodhounds and cadaver dogs. When a bloodhound sensed somebody going to a location, and a cadaver dog sensed that he was there, and he was deceased, and yet the police put in side scan sonars, and the victim isn't there, and then all of a sudden he appears. Um, eight days later, uh, you know, was suspicious that the victim wasn't there at that time. They took him there. They may have drowned him there. They took him somewhere else, placed him in the water after the police had already done the searches. We don't want, Lacrosse had a, a four block radius, almost the way you guys have with, with Rainy Street, in which three universities were dependent upon that income from those three universities. They did not want those 35 bars in that four, that four square block radius to be, uh, um, affected by that income that that, that that brings into that whole community and the universities. At that point, p- people aren't going to send their children to the universities. What's going to happen to the community? It's going to collapse. Yeah, go ahead, Anna. I'll give you one more. 
Um, I, you know, the the trails where these guys were found, people walk those trails. They run those trails. So how they're so busy. I just don't understand how they were not there one day and then they just popped up several days later. Like, pe- mm. how can you not? I mean, I run those trails myself and you it really makes me think that these guys were just put there because anybody could would see, be able to see them. Well, I don't know point. about all the, all the cases. I know about the John case because I was I actually reviewed it today, and what, what the uh, roommate told me was that they had a uh, cadaver dog sent that he was at this one location where he was eventually recovered, and the police did do a, 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 an active search and put sight scan sconers in there and had nothing there. They went up and down the river for miles on both ends. They had They had... Signs that something was in the water, but not a body. They picked up uh, shopping carts. They put picked up all, uh, heavy items that were down below, tree trunks, whatever, nothing. And then all of a sudden, eight days later, uh, the body is found right where they orig- the dog originally sent him. So was he was he taken there and uh, he was he was murdered there and then taken somewhere else and then brought back? I mean, you know, we we don't know. But all I know mm. is. The, the the evidence doesn't fit what actually transpired, you know, where the why the why that happened. And Anna has a good point, you know, uh, the fact that you know those that area is, is a heavy traffic area, but not at two in the morning you when know, the kids get tra- missing. But we're talking, you know, during the day, people are right. out jogging at you know six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, uh, going through those same trails, going down that same route there, and they're not seeing anything. All of a sudden, a day later, two days later, there's a body there. Well, like I said, we're, we're, all day long, people are jogging there. Well, the bodies yeah. would go to the bottom, probably. Right? right, and then they then they would surface unless they were deceased before, and then they put them in the body because we have. And they just throw them in there because what, what what I was able to tell in one of my cases in lacrosse where the kid actually got out of the water, I proved that he wasn't put in the water till about six in the morning because one of the young kids, which the lacrosse tribune labeled the, the one that got away, was the police were really smart. They said, "Oh, wait a minute, he was last seen at two a.m. in the morning," and then. He ran into the hospital at 7 a.m. in the morning saying, oh, my God. He said, I woke up. I was in Mississippi River swimming for my life. I pulled myself up on shore. I laid there for 10 minutes, heard the traffic, ran to, ran to the traffic because he knew he was in trouble. And he saw the hospital was right there. So he had come out by the hospital. Fortunate enough, he ran right in and said, somebody pushed me into the water. I think I was, I think I was drunk. Somebody pushed me into the water and tried to kill me. So the hospital did a, a blood test. When, by the time they did it, 8 a.m., his blood test, his alcohol was zero four. If you know anything about alcohol, every drink, a shot is worth zero two milliliters. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm just kind of floored about the fact that family members cannot get copies of the photos or autopsy reports and, you know, some of the things in autopsy reports. Um, at this point, the family members should have everything. And the fact that we're not giving that information to the family tells me that law enforcement, someone thinks that there is actually a killer here in Austin. Because if you didn't think it was a killer, you would have released the information, at least to the family, so the family could have some type of closure. Well, unless, then, unless, the, unless the case was still under investigation, you would say, yes, we have, why, why, uh, what do you have to hide? If they got nothing, let them get a second opinion. Right. From not just myself, but like 
another medical examiner to, to, to look at the case, like we did with multiple cases where we went to Cyril Weck or, you know, Michael Biden or other people. All right. And you have a theory. Well, well, well one of the things about the, with the drugging it, that I was able to prove early on, especially in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which, which has started us, I, um, I told my partner one time, he said, I know you want to go do this. Let's go do it. I said, nah, they're going to make a mistake, and then I'll know to go. And they made a mistake January 8th of uh, 2006, and that's when that young man I was telling you about got out of the, the river. So I said, I, I looked at the repeat, police report, what they did, and what, what happens is the body disperses one drink per hour. They even have these classes with college kids now to tell them what to do that, you know, depending upon your weight, it goes from 180 pounds. A 180-pound man can drink four drinks, and it's 2468, and you'll be at 0.08, and you're intox at four drinks. If you're 20 pounds less, you can only have three drinks. So every 20 pounds less is one less drink. So if you're 140 pounds, you can only have two drinks, and you're drunk, okay? Well, so if you're 200, how many so drinks you, you can have? So at that point, at 200, <laughs> I just you can have know. five. 220, okay. you can have six. Okay. My partner's 260, he can have like nine drinks before... Before he's intox. I'm just checking. Shut up, Gary. So, they, so, so there you go. So what happened was this young man went into the hospital at a, a, a perf- perfect weight, about 180. They, they tested him at 8 o'clock. He was a 0-4. So what did the police do? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was missing since 2 a.m. in the morning, six hours earlier. Six hours at 0-2 per hour is 12. Six times 2 is 12. 12 with the 4 means he was... Point zero six, he was sixteen, so he was double the intox level zero eight, and they were one hundred percent correct. So they made him a stupid drunk kid that fell into the water. The only thing they didn't tell you was when he fell in the water, it was thirty two degrees. So at thirty two degrees, you would die of hypothermia within forty five minutes. So if he drove, fell into the water accidentally, he's dead before three a.m. How does he walk into the hospital at seven a.m.? He didn't because they held him till seven a.m. in the morning. As the drunk kid who was who was drugged at the bar, he fell and threw him in the water at 7 a.m., which is what the police call the cooping hour, between 7 and 8 a.m. when all the bars are closed. At least in New York, it's we're active. So 6 in the morning, 6.30, the cops pull over. They close their eyes, find a nice spot to rest. We do our paperwork. We, we get our stuff ready for the evening. Well, they go into the precinct, and they're not even patrolling anymore. They do their paperwork. They get ready for the, before the day shift comes in. And what happens is he goes into 7 a.m., w- runs into the hospital. They didn't have, they obviously covered him for the hypothermia, but they didn't test him till 8 a.m. So everything checked out, except that he would have been dead six hours or five hours early before he ran into the hospital. How does that happen? It only happens if he was probably drugged, was not aware of what was going on. When he got in at 7 a.m. in the morning, he actually was right. He laid on the water on the on the shore for 10 minutes. He was freezing with hypothermia. He jumped up. What happened when he hit? And he, and he said, I got to swim for my life. He grabbed onto the shore, pulled himself up, was exhausted, laid there for 10 minutes, and then ran. In the, and, and that proved to me that these young men were being drunk. In lacrosse, they arrested a guy with like 300 hits of GHP and never thought that two of the victims who did die, uh, Jeff Kesey and uh, Adam Falcon, both had GHP in them. They tried to say GHP... Uh, would increase due to levels of decomposition. No. Alcohol level does increase during your time into the water during decomposition. But GHB does not. GHB actually stops exactly where it was. And how we, 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 did we do that? We had one of our victims had GHB. 
We kept the liver tissue sample for two years. We tested it over and over in the subsequent years, and every level was the same. So it does not increase during uh, time, because here it was for two years, and it never increased. So we, we, we know what GHB doesn't. But alcohol, if you were in the water and you were decomposing, you could have went in at 0.4, and if you were there for two or three weeks, you would then be 0.12 or 0.16 or 0.22. Alcohol does increase during decomposition. GHB is a synthetic drug. It does not increase. GHB also has one other big key, which would be perfect for our victims or before for our, our subjects and for, uh, for the uh, perpetrators because GHB has a half-life of anywhere from uh, 30 minutes, from 10 minutes, I'm sorry, 20 minutes to one hour. So if you were caught with, the body was discovered with GHB like uh, Chris Jenkins was with 52 micrograms of GHB in the body when, it went, when, it went, when they did the autopsy, we know 20 minutes early, he could have been at 104, mm. or as late as one hour. But as early as 20 minutes, he could have been 104. 20 minutes early, he could have been at 208. At 20 minutes before that, an hour early, and then he could have been at you know, 416. So th- that's how quickly GHB... So you could have been given a big dose, but by the time they held you and put you in the water, you would be down to 52. But 20 minutes early, you would have been at 104. Does it change after death? No, it, 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 after death, no. Everything but while you're alive. So I'm saying you could have been abducted and had like 200 micrograms in you and you would have been stumbling like wait, somebody's Wait, guys. wait, wait, wait. So if somebody was dosed with GHB and was found a month later, it would have the same... Same amount when they died. Okay. That's what but I our victims could have been held for a period of time for most of the GHB to come out because it disintegrates, you know, it, it okay, dissipates basically within 20 minutes from and as long as an hour, but as, mu- as early as 20 minutes. So you could get a big dose and be stumbling, and then when you get in the water, you're like, you know, 20 micrograms or 50 right. micrograms, and the police go, oh, that's nothing, it has nothing to do with it. But you don't know that he had 300 micrograms on him, you know, two hours earlier. If you have any in your system, then It would have stayed. It should alarming. have been enough. It's right. alarming. It right. should be alarming right. anyway because yeah. it's not something you would normally take yeah. at a bar. Unless you were like a drug addict, which none of these. And that's not the type of drug you take. You would be taking ecstasy or something else. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's some, there's some, I have some friends that would probably voluntarily take it, but nonetheless, they're like, you you know, everybody that we all know that those people dislike experimenting with drugs. Drugs. None of these people, as far as you've investigated or I've investigated, have showed signs of being those people. Like Martin Gutierrez is a perfect example of. He was a weightlifter kid. Right, right. And we talked to his brother and. Uh, he was a good kid. He didn't do drugs. He, he didn't even smoke marijuana. Yeah, for he didn't, right. He didn't even really drink that right, much. Right. So, yeah, that's uh. So so it's out of character. And these parents know. One time I wrote a bill of rights for parents. I figured there should be a parents' bill of rights, like Mike was talking about. Like, let them let them have the evidence. Yeah. Why? Let and, them, and what's you know? Can we unless go, there was going to be a prosecution, you understand the detectives keep everything close to the vest. I mean, I did that. Every so, we, we so held there's that. so there's really two reasons they wouldn't release the evidence to the families it's they don't know what's going on and they're still looking or right. they've found someone that they want to prosecute right exactly what do you think about that zach i think it very well could be makes sense doesn't it mm-hmm. yeah, if, they, if, if they're specifically looking at somebody they don't want to tip their hand you know so you, you, you never do that you always keep your cards close to the vest right, right 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 which is why the police aren't being completely transparent because According to your theory, that this right. is potentially what, these are potentially murders. Well, that's why I wrote it in an article in the Newsweek. I told him, I said, you know, I'm thinking the, the police they they have to know something is possibly going on, and they may be looking at it, you know, 
undercover without alerting the public. They don't want to get everybody. They don't, obviously they don't want to shut down business either. Right. You know, like a COVID or, thing or cause like, like a, and like cause a, a hysteria. Yeah. If so, they ever admitted or said anything that there may be a serial killer in Austin, then that would have disastrous consequences. Financial yep. and social consequences. Yeah, think right. of all of the conferences. Especially a city like here, Austin where everybody... Tourism. I mean, this tourism, is a city where yeah. people freak out regardless. Right. You know, I mean, there's... But it's there's, not just Austin because it's all police. I'm not telling you. New York, we do the same thing. I mean, you know, I'm telling you. Well, I feel they like did New York... They did it already. <laughs> New York seems to me like a little bit more of a crime-hardened city where people are like, oh, yeah, right. somebody was killed and thrown in a dumpster over there. They don't really care. But in Austin, right. you know... We have that doesn't uh, happen here, right? So and, right. and the crime is going up, which is uh, Casey. Can you hit me with that Steve Adler bit there? Well, one thing, but uh, the crime Austin went up, and then is one of the five safest big cities <laughs> in the country. There you go. Yeah, which is not true at all. But but, the, but look at your drowning cases have gone up exponentially because they showed one of the things I read that they used to, the normal drowning deaths in a year in Austin, which would be boaters and stuff and drinking and you know whatever, you know kayakers maybe they flip over is like sixteen. And now you guys are up to like thirty. So the question yeah. is, why would you have a hundred percent increase in drowning death if something isn't going on? You know so I mean? do you think that at the end of the day here, and I know we still got 15 more minutes and we got to go to a break in a minute, but at the end of the day, do you think that this is connected to the smiley face killings? Give me a I, tentative answer. I would just say, I don't believe in what I said earlier. I don't believe in coincidences and, and there's too many suspicious things to make me believe that something is going on out of here, whether it's my group or not. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning that there's a possibility that, that it could be my guys. All right, we come back from the break. I got a couple of videos I want you guys to take a look at. And these are people who are randomly uh, walking around in parking lots. They're under the influence of something. They've been drugged. And we come back from the break. Take a look at this video and see if you recognize any of these guys. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Hey, this is AWR Hawkins, Bright Park News, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so last year, uh, we, back in uh, right around Halloween time frame, uh, we played a video, a couple videos, and it didn't hit me until we're sitting here talking about it right now. You know, could this video be related to what we're talking about? You know, could this have been a test run for whoever's been poss possibly drugging people? So take a look at the video. This is here in South Austin. This happened last year, 2022. And... Get a chance to roll this video. Uh, well, it's rolling right now. So this is going on. It's taking place in South Austin. And it's right around. It's going to be the October time frame. And these people are just randomly. Oh, are these the zombies? Yeah. They're just I remember this. Yeah. These guys were drugged out of their gourds. Yeah. Randomly in that the parking be what, lot. Fentanyl, ketamine. Don't know. They just and and there was two of them. There's two guys. They just happened to bump into each other. You know. <laughs> Wait, they weren't with each other. They, not, to our knowledge, they were not with each other. Could they, be, could they have been drugged simultaneously, or you know, and dropped off? Don't know. 
Well, these guys were probably doing drugs over by the, that homeless camp over there. There's one right down there, right? So these are not. These they, are not. They don't look homeless. These are not a typically homeless. These are not a homeless people. In Austin, a lot of the homeless people are like transient. And they don't look homeless. You I know, know what the, I mean. I know the homeless in that area. These are not the homeless guys. Uh, you know, you know them that well. You go over there and hang out with them. No, he you, knows all. Of them. You know the homeless. <laughs> you live in this area long enough, you know. Yeah, K two or PCP. That, it could be that too. I mean, that guy's not even wearing a shirt, Mike. That guy looks homeless. No. Well, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you. No. Straight up. No. I'm going with you, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Not homeless. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? Homeless. No. Definitely they look, not. They the look second guy, the first guy with the what black I shirt and everything, I don't know. And this, I you, so know. you think these two guys just randomly bumped into each other? I want to know, <laughs> does, anybody, does anybody recognize these guys? This guy, that guy, that guy right there is not homeless. Is that Matthew? <laughs> and so I'm wondering this, you know, could this be related to what we're talking about? Could this be a pre-run, someone actually drugged someone, slipped something in someone's drink? Well, this would have been after, off. this would have been after this had already started. This, 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 is according to everybody, the, the, the. But, the killings at Lady Bird Lake started in 2018, so this yeah, wouldn't have been a pre. The pre only, the only thing with that is I wouldn't see them being dropped off. I could see them seeing if they could drug a guy at a bar and if he would just follow them. Like we had a case in Minnesota where the kid was functioning in a bar. The friend saw him. He was on the bar talking to a couple of women. They were on the other side, whether it was a dance floor or whatever. They came back to get him at, at closing time. They're like, you know, you where, where's Tommy? They look out the window and these two guys are just walking. He's walking with them and he's getting ready to get in the van. And they come out. What are you doing, our friend? They push him at him and they get into some fisticuffs. They and drive so, off. They call and, me and ask me. Yeah, and, but Mike, and who's, and who's someone filming up, this? Someone brought up something really good. Look at the shoes. That that person is not homeless. I'd give. I, I drop off shoes to homeless people all the time. Sure. <laughs> I'm d being dead serious. I this these guys were with each other and they probably bought drugs from the homeless camp because the yeah. all the drug all, a lot of the drug dealers. Live in homeless camps or are transient. And and Carissa, sorry, I'm not I'm not in that Facebook group. I don't believe. I don't think they let me into the group, so I can't post anything in the group. <laughs> he looks pretty good. The guy, the guy in the black looks good and good sneakers and everything. Man, right. I don't know who's filming this, Michael. Uh, that I'm not. Gonna Mike say. is Mike is down there. <laughs> That's, and 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 this and this, this <laughs> these people were brought over to this area here. They're you know this. You're talking. They were not patronizing any business in this area at all. And this was like at three o'clock in the morning. You know, all the bars are closed, and they randomly showed up in the parking lot. Somebody, somebody in the chat said that these guys are acting. Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. Uh, to me, it looks like two guys that were hanging out, bought a bunch of drugs, and, and could be homeless, couldn't be homeless. I don't know, regardless. But This is a high traffic area for yeah. the homeless. And, yeah, I've and, seen a guy in his underwear over there. Yeah, I've, I've also seen but homeless you, people that are just not. Those people look, you know. You know the, you yeah, know some the of homeless these, people. So, you see them all, all the time. time. Dude, some There's of the homeless no people live in their car and have jobs. I mean, I've interviewed hundreds of homeless yeah, people. Yeah, not too long ago, I was driving past 6th Street, uh, the 35 Bridge, the underpass, and there was this young woman. She probably looked about 20 years old. And she was definitely on meth, doing weird stuff. But she on the didn't ground. Look beat up. But she looked like she had just started doing yeah, meth. Yeah, she hadn't been doing it for a long time. The the ill effects hadn't all set in, where you know your face totally changes. It looked like she had just probably started to get on meth that week. You know, all I'm saying is well groomed. They're well groomed. They're clean, dude. Have you dirty. seen Their the shoes. homeless camps, Mike? Yeah. They some of these people mm -hmm. a while back. The homeless camp over on. On Riverside, they had a they had built their own garage and pulled a car into it, mm -hmm. and they have electricity. They have generators. They don't just not shave. This yeah, is th these a, are these are probably homeless a, people. And if, and, if you look at, and, yeah. if, and if you look at the video, some of them have running water. And if you at this look point. at the video, you'll see that this guy 
had his shirt on, and then his shirt is now off. Yeah, because he's a drugged out, crazy homeless person. But it, so you know, just it's up to you guys. People that do drugs sometimes. Well, if it's up to me, too. then I'm saying they're homeless because. Well, one of my victims though in New York, I got to tell you, he came out and he was uh, he was perfectly fine, and then he leaned over, started like dry heaving, but he he, he had no alcohol he had no alcohol in him because when they uh, tested him after he was uh, found in the river. It was uh, 0.6, so he was still, you know, sober enough to drive a vehicle. Yeah, but, but if you get drugged with GHB with alcohol, you'll throw up almost immediately. Yeah, well, he started throwing up, but he was driving because I guess he didn't have alcohol. And, and we, But in that case, we can prove who did it. We, uh, we, we have two individuals that are waiting outside. They start following him. He's on video. He's walking, and then all of a sudden he doesn't make the next block where the next video is. So you know he had to get into a car. Uh-huh. We have that on tape. We have the car that went around and around and around. And then supposedly he was found down at the port of Albany. And guess what? That black car that was around and around and around is going down to the port of Albany, which circumvented the camera until it went all the way down to uh, the DEC lot, which was supposedly broken into. And anyway, we have evidence to prove because I said, well, then he has to know somebody who was in the DEC lot. They came back and had lunch the next day. I had the father down there. He's got pictures of the, the black Celica. With the, with the spoke wheels, I got the car. So I know who some of these individuals are. I've, I've, I have information. We know who they are. We know, like I said, we have the 13 symbols. We're not just going to go by a smiley face. There has to be distinct evidence that our group is present at the scene. And But first, we have to know that the forensic evidence proves that these kids were murdered. And if they were murdered and our evidence is there, then, then, we, uh, then we link them. The, those guys in the parking lot could be not homeless. They could be homeless. I really don't know. I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate. But the, the point is that they're clearly on drugs, like drugged out of their minds. They, oh, yeah, they definitely on drugs. Yeah. So if... if uh, Whether it was by themselves or someone else. Well, well, I don't think my guys would do a test. You run, think though. somebody would, would? You think somebody would drug them and then just take a video of them and say, this is Halloween? Probably unrelated. No. Yeah. The, the the person that took the video it was an employee that worked in that area. Had nothing oh, yeah. to do with those individuals. How do you know that? I know that for a fact. And so I don't even want to go down that road because then that. A lot know, of people do drugs yeah. just for fun, you know? I mean. Supposedly. I Allegedly. I want to see what it, you know, what, it, what kind of effect it would have on them, you know, whatever. All right. So we got less than 10 days. In less than 10 days, the ATF brace band. Uh, ATF is going to actually start their enforcement. So mm-hmm. you guys haven't started your paperwork. You haven't formed two. You haven't done that form one. You, you know, you haven't done your paperwork there. You might want to get it started because you have until May 31st and then the enforcement period starts. Uh, so, uh, I'm actually shocked and surprised. I thought at this point, you know, we would actually have some type of case that would have gotten an injunction or stay or something where this brace band would not have gone into effect. But, um, well, you know, it's it, the the period is now almost upon us where now the enforcement period is going to start. And a lot of people are, are, are don't know about this. A lot of people don't know that, you know, they are in possession of a firearm that could be prohibited or that is prohibited. Uh, there are even dealers out there to saying they didn't know about this at all. You know, and I was watching a news story of a dealer that say he had no idea of the ATF brace ban. And then I was looking at the video, looking behind his head, and I'm thinking, man, you got one on the wall directly by your, behind your head for sale. So, <laughs> so, so, man, it's like you got to be careful of some of the things you talk about, some of the things you say, you know, and just looking at the, the news story there. It's like, whoops. <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, so it's it's coming upon us really quick. So if you haven't started your paperwork, you may might might want to get down to your local gun store, that sound shop, kiosk, whatever, and get your paperwork done and completed. Unfortunately, if you're expecting Silencer Shop to help you with the paperwork, that's not going to happen because their deadline has already passed. So you're now going to have to do it yourself. You have to do your Form 1 yourself and get that stuff done before that May 31st at midnight when the enforcement starts. Get her done. <laughs> so if, you take, <laughs> so if you've taken a photo of yourself, you know, with that, you know, with that firearm, you posted something online, you know, just be aware, you know, that it's out there and there's a possibility it can come walking in your front door. Also, uh, SB 728, that's Senate Bill 728, Texas. Uh, there's a bill that that's now going to add some information in the federal registry. Uh, that way, when when anyone who's 18, 19, 20 years old, you're you know, you're well, at least 16. And there and you've been found unfit to proceed as a result of mental illness. You've been found not responsible for uh, for the child's conduct, for your conduct or ordered by a court to receive inpatient mental health services. Uh, They're making sure that stuff is now put in federal registry. So you will be denied from purchasing a firearm. So it's all in the more reason when you walk in the gun store to get your license to carry handgun. So that way your background checks ought to been done. There's some surprises. You don't have to worry about getting reported to the FBI or put in the system for all law enforcement agencies and countries have access to it. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. Listen to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.